0: Release the hurt, the sick. The-
1: This week, with the idea that we are desperate for community, but for different reasons that we think, and so as we continue this series and um, as we start worship, I want to everybody to join us in saying the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as we start our song, we're going to be doing Holy Spirit. If you would like to look up the lyrics on your phone or computer at home. series because when we find ourselves in Christ, we find everything we can search everywhere and that it won't make any difference until we come to God.
0: I searched the world, but it couldn't fill.
1: to take a minute to thank you for your grace as we are still trying to figure out all of our technical issues with streaming, Facebook live worship. And um, we also want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving every week during this entire pandemic. It's been awesome and you are awesome. And I just wanted to remind you about the ways that you can give. First, you can text to give. Um, What you do is you text any amount that you want to give to eight Four, three, two, one. You can also go to our website. It's Lewisburgwell.org and um, just follow instructions to give online. You can also mail a check or cash to us. That's a great way to give as well. And um, if you need help with giving, just contact us and we will help you out. So thank you so much. Before we start, um, before Corey comes up for the sermon, um, the song of Prev is uh, is, is really, really special um, to me personally. It's kind of an oldie, um, but it talks about that life doesn't make sense and that, you know, the mountains, seems, life just seems so big and our faith seems so small. And it's asking Jesus just to hold us and that we can't do it on our own and that we are not made to do it on our own and that we can't do it without I was I was desperate big time, and that this song that one of my friends told me, who's from the Wesley Foundation at um, at Ole Miss, told me that hey check this song out. It's really good for when you're you're hurting or you're desperate and you just need to feel God's presence. And so it's called Hold Me, Jesus, and it's it's really 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 good.
0: on my heart
2: Nothing like a good uh, old school Rich Mullins song, yes. Um, let me say Rich Mullins, man. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, um, but ministers tend to exaggerate. <laughs> I don't know if this comes as a shocker to you all, um, <laughs> but you know, it's so funny because when you ask a minister, a lot of times you got to ask a clergy or a minister of a church or a pastor of a church, and you're like, hey, how's church going? The very first thing they tell you, because for whatever reason we have deemed that this is the correct scorecard, but they start talking about their worship numbers, right? So the immediate response is, oh, last week had 350, 360 in worship, it was fantastic. And what they fail to tell you is, last week was Easter, you know, <laughs> and so it's like the one, the one week where it's like that, or last week was Mother's Day and it's really high. And so every time I hear it, you know, like their normal average is probably like 150, you know, but you're like, you always always have to hear from a clergy and go, okay, let me take that down just a quarter notch. Um, Happen in youth ministry a lot, too. People look at me in youth ministry and be like, how, how big is your youth ministry? And the, and the line that I hear in youth ministry, which always cracks me up, is, um, well, if everybody showed up, we would have 150. You know, it's like... What does that even mean if everybody showed up? Like, okay, so just what's, what's your youth ministry size? Like, it's, that's how we describe things. But ministers, we kind of exaggerate. Wesley did the same thing, by the way. I know this is kind of a shocker, but John Wesley did this too. He estimated people based upon square yardage. So if he had a crowd out in front of him, he would judge the basic side. Let's, say, let's call it an acre or whatever, and he'd be like, all right. There could be five people per square yard, and he would be like, all right, I had 5,000 people. When we all know, we all know, John Wesley, that it was probably 3,000, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. We tend to exaggerate, uh, clergy dude, to make ourselves feel better, make others feel like we're successful, or whatever you want to call it. Um, So when I'm reading a book about another pastor's church, uh, I want you to know that I take a little hesitation in what I hear from numbers and all that kind of stuff. I really do. I take a little bit of hesitation, except... Something caught my attention. This particular pastor, when Brian Sanders was asked about numbers, he didn't give them. What he did is he started talking about his church's atmosphere. He couldn't have cared less about numbers. That's when I started to pay attention. And I want you to hear, and this is, I know, y'all have heard me say this before. This is a public speaking no-no, but I'm actually going to read to you from a book because he just says it way better than I ever could. I want you to hear the atmosphere of his church um, and realize how Unexaggerated, this probably really is. He said, I don't think we have the best musicians or the most talented speakers. Praise be to God. <laughs> I feel the same way. About the speakers, not the musicians, sorry. <laughs> he said, but there's a desperation and a hunger that characterizes all our gatherings. I'm surprised at this kind of deep perception of need has not diminished in us in all these years. You can still feel it every time we get together. Tears often punctuate our gatherings. so many tears. Our worship leaders break down, I often break down. Nothing is rote, all is new. Maybe God always seems to be present because we express in our gatherings that we need him so much. Maybe it's because we don't have spectators. We only have participants. They don't come to watch, they come to find God. And when you work with the very poor, you face constant betrayal uh, and pain beyond your ability to bear it. And when you spend the other six days a week face to face with real evil and you battle with all your strength to confront strong men like unbelief and racism and prostitution and homelessness and mental illness, it's all too much. We know we need God. The people who gather to worship with us are spent. They don't come to judge or consume. They come to find a moment with the living God. They come to be touched by him, revived, and reminded of his promised presence. I'm not sure if it's their hunger that invokes the presence of God, presence of God or if it's their faithfulness. But I'm going to remind, uh, be reminded of the promise at the end of the Great Commission to go, make, teach, baptize, and surely... I will be with you to the end of the age, surely. It is hard to face that statement as a conditional promise. And y'all hear this out, because this is a harsh, this is a hard-to-hear statement, it's a harsh statement. He said it's hard to face that statement as a conditional promise, but it is. And I'll be honest with you, I'd never read it that way, but listen to what he says. That means the converse might hold true as well. Perhaps we can conclude that if we do not go, if we do not make disciples, If we do not baptize and teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded, then the Spirit will not be as present with us. Now, I don't know if you heard it, and I'm hoping you did. But can you hear the plural? I had to go back and count. There's a one page, that's roughly one page, where 24 times where he used the plural of we, us, there, or some form of it. 24 times. For two sentences, he went and talked about individual callings. For two sentences, he actually went to the singular, simply because he was talking about how each of them have their own calling and what they do in their church and what they do in the community. But really, in the end, he then turned around and said, even with the individual, those two sentences, he comes back and said, it's all too much for one person to handle. And he quickly turns back to the plural. We need God. We need God's presence. There's a, sense of not just, um, there's a sense of not just desperation, because I'm sure you could hear the desperation in there. There's, a, seri- there's a, a sense of desperation for the community. The series has been about desperation. What are we desperate for when we wake up in the morning? Um, when we gather as a church, whether it's digital uh, or whether it is live and in person, Are we desperate for God's presence? Are we desperate for God's voice? And today we're talking about are we desperate for community? Um, We talk a lot about community in our church. We really do. Uh, And we know this. Like geographical community, spiritual community, we talk a lot about community uh, because we are very heavy on how we send out, how we outside these walls of of our building, recognizing that the church is the people who are living sent. So we talk a lot about community, there's no doubt. But I want to take this and I want to push this just a little bit further. Because a lot of times I think we can get stuck and we don't mean to. And this is not necessarily wrong, but we get stuck in this social bond aspect of community. Where we look at each other, and I hear this, every church I've ever been a part of, when you start talking about doing multiple worships, like, it all comes back to the same thing. Everybody's like, oh man, we go to multiple worships, I miss them, or I don't get to see them. And we talk about this social bond of it's really important to me to be able to to know them and be in relationship with them. And that is good. There's nothing wrong with that. And I can't tell you how much I look forward to communion. Oh, merciful, sweet communion. You know, the thing we used to have that we don't get to have anymore. Thank you, pandemic. Um, but when we do communion here, I don't we didn't teach this. This was something that we have added in on purpose, but it was something that happened naturally and organically. That when we did communion here, it turned into something like a reunion. It was literally, and, I'm, and I hesitate to use the word family. You know I don't like family church because the word family is so limited on how you get in and how you get out. We talk about community here, but it's like a community uh, revival when we do communion. It's so awesome to hear the buzz and how much everybody's loving on each other. We don't stand in line, keep our heads solemn and bowed, but there's nothing wrong with that. But in our particular congregation, it's really great to see that it becomes a lot like a reunion and we're hugging each other we're, uh, when we used to be able to hug each other and shake hands and All that fun stuff, right? That's what I'm saying. I remember those days. Those were great days. (laughs) But we can get stuck in this social bond, and we don't realize that really community is more than that. And so I want to push us into that, and we're going to use that community. And honestly, we're going to use a scripture you're familiar with. But I want us to take community to the next level. And to recognize that it's more than social, but it's really that a body, it needs each part to function. That we are dependent upon each other; that the community is dependent upon the individuals, and the individuals are dependent upon the community. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter four. We have done an entire series on one particular on one of the scriptures in here, but we are um, we're going to take this and we're going to take it to the next step. So I want you to hear this: uh, Ephesians chapter four. This is these are verses eleven to sixteen. It says so. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there By every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And from Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. Here's what I'm saying. Here's some things I feel like when it comes down to being desperate for community, to remember, are we desperate for these things? When we start talking about being desperate for community, I think the first thing is, are you desperate to actually learn your gifting? Are you desperate to actually learn your gifting? This is the part we've done before, right? When you hear uh, in verse 1, But before we start, when we get to verse 11, let me back up just a second, because in verses 1, 2, and 3, what you find in Ephesians, let's hear the context of the chapter before we start talking about what it is that Christ has been given or is giving to us. The context is how it is that we create uh, healthy individuals and how we create healthy community from healthy individuals. That is the subject matter for all of Ephesians 4. So listen to verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, 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 to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So you can hear the singular, right? And then he gives the details on how to do that in verse 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Oh, wait a minute. He's no longer talking singular. He said bearing with one another in love. Now he's talking community. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's community. When you get to verses 4 through 6, he tells us why this is so important. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to, one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's because we are, as the body of Christ, literally, when we become believers, we are all under one spirit, under one God who is Father of all, under one baptism, we are all baptized into the same spirit. We all have a calling. If you think back about a year and a half or two years ago, we did, the, we did a series on be, do, and go. Who are you created to be? What are you created to do? Where are you created to go? And the idea was we each have a generic. We all have a general calling and a specific calling. And the general calling is this right here. This is part of it. But the general calling is to be disciples who make disciples, who go out into the world to make more disciples. And this is how he's saying to do this and to make that community function. He's saying be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another uh, in, in, in unity as well. So like he's telling you how that happens and how that happens best. But Then verse 7, there's a but. But to each one of us. And I've always, uh, David Laird always cracks me up, man. He talks about I need to do a series called I Like Big Butts in the Bible. Like, I think that's hilarious. At some reason, somehow or another, that needs to happen. And I need to, if he's not going to do it, I'm stealing it. Uh, so thank you, David Laird. In the name of Jesus, I may borrow that from you uh, for church stuff. But it's like, here's another big but right here. So it says, but to each one of us. You see how he's going back to the singular. So it's community. And he's saying, this is how you make one healthy body. But he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he's saying, here's how to make it unified, but here's your role. And he's about to give us that role. And you know this role very well. We talk about apest all the time. And, it's the, uh, and here's the, the apest version of it. Look at verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The pastors is sometimes, or a lot of times are referred to as shepherds. That's where the S comes in for apest. So apostle, prophet, the A's and the P's, the E's evangelism. The, uh, the S is the shepherd and the T is the teacher. Those are the five givings. Those are the five ways that, God is, that Christ has graced us with our roles. Apostles are pioneers who stay out in front of the church or help pull the for, uh, church forward uh, and keep us moving ahead instead of getting stuck in where we always find our ruts. We'll throw that out there. Prophets. Uh, prophets are those who proclaim God's holiness and call the people to holiness. This is more of where my gifting is at. Uh, Because I recognize it at times. I know sometimes you get, some people probably get fed up with me because I sound like a whiny prophet, right? I just sound like a guy that's going, nothing's ever right, God, you know. And so there's this idea of prophets can't come out across whiny when we are not uh, healthy. And so, uh, but as a prophet, we are always looking out and going, hey, this is status quo, and we need to bust this up because this is how we grow closer to God. Evangelists are ones who proclaim the gospel, the good news, literally gospel means good news, of Jesus out in the world. And if you'll remember when we did this series, the A's, the P's, and the E's, the apes we called them, the apes are almost always outside the four walls of the congregation. Uh, Then you have the shepherds, the pastors, who are responsible for maintaining and developing the relationships, uh, being healthy community or building healthy community uh, so that we can enrich those relationships and become a solid body. That's what pastors and shepherds do. Uh, And then that's usually an internal along with teachers, and those are the ones who are responsible for the intellectual and the spiritual development of the members of the body of Christ. They can take things that seem so stinking complicated and make it real easy for everybody to know and to learn and to retain and to remember. So what is your role? Are you desperate, literally, are you desperate to know your role? Because when you know your role, it helps to do nothing but help maintain and actually create and build a healthy community, right? Right? So the second thing is, are you desperate to be developed? Are you desperate to be developed? Listen to 12 and 13 again. Uh, He says that it, it says in verse 11 that Christ gave himself, gave him. Let me try all that again. So Christ himself gave all of these things to equip. And here's 12 and 13 is the reason why. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body may be built up. The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God become mature attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. I want you to see, when he he says to equip his people for works of service, that is generally meant outside the church. So when we are being developed as individuals, and we're being developed as believers, and we have said, okay, I want to learn my calling, so therefore I can use this either internal or external, it is a both and. It's not just one or the other. It's a both and. It's a both and. Uh, and we are there, at, literally, the community is there to help develop its individuals so that we can be a healthy community. We talk about this, you've heard me say this phrase all the time, healthy communi- or healthy individuals make healthy communities. And healthy communities, vice versa, also make healthy individuals. Listen to the growth areas again, right? The growth areas, to equip us, meaning to train us, to develop us, and to, uh, to help us, Uh, to to grow as individuals, both as a disciple and as someone of the kingdom of God. You hear that through sermons. You hear that through the searching of scriptures. uh, You get that through small groups. Hello, if I haven't emphasized this enough. Small groups uh, and through discipling relationships. Conversations is called, uh, you know, Wesley called them holy conferencing. Uh, The idea of conversations between two individuals or groups of people in a small group. And honestly, to equip, you know, we've got to practice things too. It's not just the learning, it's the practicing of the faith. So how are we doing mission work? How are we doing work outside the church walls? So That's one growth area that he talks about is to equip. The next one is to build up. When we are being developed, we're being built up. And he specifically states, states to be built up in love, to be built up in unity, growing in love in our relationships, encouraged by others, reinforced in hope. Because when you know, you know the drill. When some of us are down, others of us are stronger. And the ones who are stronger are here to help those who are struggling. And then eventually that flip-flops. And the ones who are weak become strong again. And they are there to help those who are weak at the time. We help each other. We reinforce each other. We help to grow each other in love. And then it says further down, in unity. That's another way in which we are developed is we are brought to unity. Remember, it's unity, not uniformity. I don't need everybody to look the same. I don't need everybody to believe the same. I don't care for all that. The idea is, do we understand that Christ is our Lord and Savior? And do we understand that we are called to make disciples? That's it. So we are here to create unity and having that one mindset that Christ is Lord of all and that we're here to develop the kingdom and then grow deeper. And that's what it says here. It says, in the unity and the knowledge. We're here to grow deeper in our understanding of who Christ is and who Christ is in our world. And then it goes on and it says, and become mature. This one hurts. I had a, um, we were in conversation here recently uh, with uh, one of the leaders at the General Board of Education for the United Methodist Church. I uh, was on a Zoom call with him and a few others recently, and he made this comment that actually stuck out to me really heavy. He said that studies have shown, and his experience has also uh, reinforced it, that the vast majority of United Methodist people are okay with attaining a fifth grade, basically what's known as a fifth grade education in their faith and staying there. That's not maturity. If we ever looked at our children who are coming up through the education process and we applaud them, we're like, we're so excited for you getting to fifth grade and don't ever expect them to get to sixth grade and beyond. We we look at each other and go, that's bad. (laughs) No, keep going. But yet, for whatever reason, we've decided that's okay with our faith and we hit fifth grade level and we're comfortable with that. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to do. And that hurt. But the maturity thing we're going to talk about a little bit more in the next couple verses That whole measure in the fullness, knowing that nothing is held back from Christ, uh, literally nothing is held back about Christ with us, that we receive new revelations, we see a bigger picture as we move forward, we are literally being developed to see the kingdom in a different light every single day, in a better light every single day. So are you desperate to learn your role? Are you desperate to actually be developed? But are you desperate to grow in maturity? Because listen to verses 14 and 15 again. Then, and that's it. You know, I like big butts, but I like big thens. And this is one of them. Then, knowing that then is there means all of these things have taken place above it. Well, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So hear my heart on this. Um, then we get to have healthy foundations when all those other pieces are in place, when we are being gentle and patient and bearing with one another, making every effort to work in unity, when we have learned our roles and we are becoming developed as individuals and as believers in Christ, then our foundation is set enough so that when things come at us that say, here's the next Fancy church growth strategy. Here's the next shiny thing that we should follow because this will fix everything in your church and you will grow from five people to 5,000 people. Throw that junk out the door. I'm generally not one that preaches against things. I'm just not. But I'm so fed up after 20 plus years of ministry, I'm so tired and fed up with church strategies and church growth plans when really it's all been pretty clear. We are disciples who make disciples the end. We don't get tossed around by those weird things that we just follow at random, or the, or the heresies of prosperity gospel or whatever else that comes our direction. The idea is we have a foundation strong enough to be able to know who we are, what our calling is, and move towards that in a clear and concise manner. That's what being in community does when we're being developed and we are working towards maturity. That's what it looks like. But then he says this strange and curious statement. Speaking truth In love. Um, Yeah, that's an odd statement. Let me help you know what it's not. Right now, uh, in the world of social media, and I'm not really, it's just, it's nuts. Anyway, I'm just going to say it. The the idea that somebody actually tries to sway you into their thinking on social media, and it never works, and all it does uh, is dissolve into name-calling and background-check-shaming. Like, that's not what sharing love is. That's not sharing truth and love. That is, let me shame you in every possible way. Um, Every now and then, I still don't know why I do this. And I tell you all this all the time. Every now and then, I still go, okay, I I see something on Twitter or I see something on Facebook. And I'm like, which I don't get on very often right now, to be honest with you. And I go, oh, hey, I'd love to hear the comments and just see what people are actually thinking. Oh, dear, sweet Jesus, do not ever do that. It's bad. That's shaming. There's no speaking truth in love in that. Here's what speaking truth in love is. Last night, I'm at a wedding rehearsal, um, socially distanced, well, by the way, uh, but we were, we were all at a wedding rehearsal, and you know, when, when, you're, when you go to get, do the whole marriage thing, and you've got all of your closest friends there in the room, and they're all telling stories, here's one that stood out to me, when they were talking about the bride, and they said, you know, you are one of the most kind, and gentle, and loving people, and blunt people that I know, and everybody started giggling. Because generally kind and loving and gentle and blunt do not go side by side. But can I tell you what that translates to? That's sharing truth and love. She said, it was exactly what I needed. You always told me exactly what I needed to hear. And you were kind and you were gentle with it. But you helped to correct me and literally guide me and push me forward. That's what that means. When it talks about being gentle, uh, when it talks about being, uh, speaking truth and love. That your relationship is strong enough that you can look at each other and say, hey, you need to fix this without it being something that's an attack on somebody, without it feeling like you're degrading somebody's character, or whether you're going to jeopardize a friendship because you're actually being harsh. When relationships are strong enough, and community is strong enough, and we can look at each other and go, bro, that was not wise. (laughs) And we go, you're right. That's speaking truth in love. The problem, and here's the, I say the problem, the good news is this requires a two-way street. Because for some of us in community, that means we need to be the ones to listen and hear what God is saying through someone else and be open to what God is saying through somebody else. That also means that we may be the ones who need to do the speaking. So being sensitive to the Spirit to know when and what to say in such a way that it's not like we're looking at somebody and chopping their legs off of the knees. But we're looking at them and raising them up to say this was wrong. But I know you can do better. And you watch as people go, that's right. We've got to be on both sides of that coin to be heard and to be the one hearing. Proverbs 27:17, one of my favorites, man, is iron sharpens. Iron so does one person sharpen another. This is what community is about: is iron sharpening iron. It's one mindset, one body, under one spirit, under one Lord, under one baptism, all moving in the same direction here's the thing y'all we can't do this by ourselves we were never meant you've heard me say this before we were never meant to to live our faith alone but hear my heart on this we're not just not meant to live our faith alone we also as a body can't live without your participation it's a both and you're not meant to do it all by yourself and the body can't do it without you The individual, the healthy individual, needs a healthy community. The healthy community needs a healthy individual. Are we desperate for that? Are we desperate for that? Listen to what verse 16 says. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Not by some, and not by some pieces, every supporting ligament. The body of Christ is held together by everyone, knowing who they are, knowing what they're gifted with, being kind and gentle and patient with each other, yet speaking truth and love as we grow together, we're built up together, we're developing together, we're maturing together. This is what healthy community does. This is what I'm saying. Are you desperate for community? Not just the social bond of it all, but real true healthy community. This is why as a pastor, I do the very best I can to try to deflect. When people come to me to ask me questions about other ministries, I look at them and I say, no, you go to the children's ministry. Oh, no, you go to this person who runs the show on this. It's not about me. It is about how it is that we can empower each other to be a community, a healthy community who is equipping the body of Christ and each other, right? When we're all doing our job, listen to what happens. Here's what happens. Uh, from him who joined the body, I'm sorry, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every sporting ligament, When we are all doing our jobs, listen to what happens. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're growing, we're building each other up when we're desperate for healthy community. So when you come to church, are you here like you come literally as the church to gather? Uh, Are you here and desperate for community? Or are you here and desperate for just the social aspect? There's nothing wrong with the social aspect but are you here because you're desperate because you know that being in community with each other helps you to grow helps you to build so that you can become a part that helps the rest of the body to be built up and growing and maturing in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen
0: You keep on searching. I've done all the work, but you keep on working. In my arms are wide, and you'll feel the change, my child. Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, great message delivered by Corey this morning. Um, we just want to continue to encourage you to connect with us, and uh, we'll have our benediction scripture. is Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. It says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of Egypt. Thank you all. Have a great week.